morning. How are we doing? Good morning, good morning, good morning. That was kind of an okay, like, oh, we're all right. Good morning. How are you? All right. We're awake. We're alive. Oh, man. My mom used to sing this, like, nursery rhyme when I was a kid. She'd say, I'm alive, awake, alert, enthusiastic. Just confessions from the stage. I just wanted to create a little vulnerability with you this morning. Hey, uh, happy Independence Day weekend. I'm so glad you're here. Love living in uh, the country that we live in. Um, and go Team USA today. Uh, you, are, uh, you are the faithful that are here. I've been told uh, by multiple people today, please be quick. Uh, can we put up the game on one of the TVs today? I'll remember that when I come to your job to tell you how to perform as well. So... Uh, I'm kidding, I'm a pastor, it's totally okay, everyone gets to do that, right? Um, it's a joke too, B- bad joke. Uh, man, glad you're here. We are, uh, I'm really excited to wrap up today. Um, I have loved this series, and I've loved that we are in this, um, this series about the Psalms, and it just feels like it was so short. It feels like it could have been way, 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 way longer. I mean, there, there are 150 Psalms, but um, we, we would be here for a long time if we did that. But uh, really the idea of this series was to give you sort of like a flyby and an overview of the idea and kind of the heart of the Psalms and some of the main sort of um, core pieces of it. And, I, and we're gonna close it out today with something that I think is really great to help close it out. Um, really excited about next week, excited about this series of Partners in the Gospel. Uh, man, we, we mean it when we say it. Like we, we do not just, uh, one of our values is, um, is to link arms with people in this city. Uh, we really believe that that's what the church should be. Uh, we're not just about the well Austin. We are about uh, the Austin Stone, and we're about uh, Red Rocks, and we're about all of these churches in town here uh, all across the city that are sharing the gospel and are playing a part in the mission. And so we have invited pastors to come here and that have partnered with us in many different ways. And so some of these partners are people outside of uh, the city, and they're people who have mentored Tori or myself. Um, some of the people are people within the city who are pastors. And so, man, when they come next week, I just want to ask if you would just give them some major love. Uh, they're leaving their families. Uh, they're coming here. Uh, they're leaving their churches for a week, uh, and they believe in what God is doing here. And they've said, we want to be here. We have a word that we want to share with the people of the well Austin. And so uh, y'all, y'all do that with me next week and just love all of these guys who come in uh, the next couple weeks. We'd really appreciate that. Uh, but today, we're closing out uh, the book of Psalms, and we're going to be in Psalm uh, 23. Uh, so if you need a Bible, just go ahead and raise your hand and throw it up. Uh, the ushers will come by. That is a gift to you. You can keep that. Uh, just throw it high. They'll bring it to you. And uh, if you want, you can also follow along with us through version by going to the events page and then uh, clicking uh, nearby, the Well Austin, or just plug in this, uh, this browser link right here. That'll take you to all of the uh, slides that you'll see up today. And there's actually a lot today, okay? So I'm giving you the heads up. There is a lot of information. There's a lot of text. If at any time you're like, man, I want to know more about that, go back to this right here. It's uh, the same um, URL link as in your, actually, your bulletin in front of you. Uh, and so we're going to go pretty quick. We're going to camp out in Psalm 23, but we're going to see a lot of different texts today. So if you're a note taker, just get ready, okay, because it's coming quick. It's coming fast. But this is something that has been heavy on my heart and heavy on uh, my soul and thinking about our church Um, I have felt really personally as a pastor uh, that God has wanted to sort of wake us up in a lot of ways. And I don't know how well that sits with you when I say that, but uh, there is a spirit sometimes of apathy that can come and sneak into our lives, into my life. I'm just speaking to myself right now. Uh, A spirit of routine and monotony, a spirit of, okay, well, this is how we've always done it, so I'm going to do it again this way. 
And so I have just felt, and we have felt as a staff team, uh, that God, you wanted to use this series to sort of kind of shake off some rust, kind of maybe awaken us to some things. Like when we talk about a few weeks ago, worship. What is the idea of worship? What are you worshiping? And the difference between that and praise. Like why do we come here and praise the top of our lungs and praise God? And, and how the Psalms really are, are two different parts. They're praise, but they're also lament. And so there are these emotions that are going on in our lives and your lives, and you're navigating those, many of you right now. And so we walk through some of those, like grief, and we walk through last week, anxiety and fear. And today I want to talk about one last piece that is um, all throughout the Psalms, and you see it all throughout, and it's the soul. I want to talk to you today about the soul. What is the soul anyways? And maybe right when I say that, you're like, you checked out just as I said that right now. Okay, I know what the soul is, Nick. I've been going to church my entire life. Let me ask you this question. Could you really actually define what the soul is? Could you stand up here and tell somebody today, I'm going to tell you what the soul that God has given me really is. I mean, we have this idea in our heads of what the soul is, but we can't really kind of explain it. It's this kind of mysterious thing. And, and in some aspects in Scripture, you see the soul is a very mysterious thing in some ways. It is an imparted to us from God. And so we're going to answer four questions today. We're going to answer what is our soul. We're going to answer what is God's aim for our soul. And what are the enemies of our souls? We have some enemies that today are actually, if God came to give you a soul and he wants to do something with that soul, which we'll talk about, then they're actually opposition to that right now. And you're in the midst of some of that opposition even now. And some of the emotional battle, we've been talking a lot about emotions that maybe you navigate, have to do with a lot of that opposition. And then we're gonna finish out and close out with, well then, okay, what is it? Why do, why, what is God's purpose in it? What are the enemies to it? And the last part, well, then how do I care for it? And so let's just jump right in. A study, uh, what is the soul? A study was once taken of, of church attenders, thousands of church attenders. And they asked the church attenders to explain to them, uh, do you, they said the first question was, do you know what a soul is? And, every, and almost 90-something percent said, yes, we know what a soul is. But when they asked them to explain what it was, they found out in this study that barely anybody could explain what the soul was. Supreme uh, Court Justice Potter Stewart uh, was writing a dissent once, and he said of the word obscenity, he said, it's hard to define, but I, I know it when I see it. He was trying to talk about the word obscenity, and I think in the same exact way of his difficulty in explaining that language in his dissent, it's the same way that when we say, I, I know what the soul is, I have an idea what the soul is, but I don't know how to exactly explain it. I, I know it when I see it. You know, we're all very curious about this aspect. And in Scripture, 428 times the word in the Old Testament, nefesh, is used. It's the Hebrew word for soul. It's used 66 times, suke, in the Greek to talk about the soul. And so the soul is all through Scripture. But the question is, can you define it? Can you define it? Can you explain it? And we all know it matters. We all know it's got some sort of importance. We all know that at a soulish level, that we're all connected in some ways to it. But we have a difficulty explaining, and we know that it's important, but we're not fully sure what it is. We talked a little bit about this, and some of this at the men's retreat this past year. to about 75 of my brothers in here, and we kind of dove into a little bit. Some of that content is what we're going to hear today, but some of it's even expanded some more. 
a couple weeks ago, I was kind of uh, bouncing this idea off of some people from the church. And I just said, hey, would you uh, tell me, like, uh, do you have any idea what a soul is? I want to talk about the soul. I think God is leading us to look at the Psalms and how all throughout the Psalms, it talks about the soul, the soul, the soul, the soul. And the same exact response as that survey came out. People are like, well, I know what it is, but I, I don't know fully how to describe it. And my hope is that you'll walk away today knowing. We, we use this word all the time, right? We say things like, hey, may God rest his soul. Or we say something like, uh, two days after Halloween is All Souls Day, if you know what that is. Or if you're a kid, childhood nursery rhyme. I gave you one that my mom used to say to me a minute ago. How about, maybe you've heard this one. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord Ah, uh, some of y'all grew up in church, okay. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord. Wow, y'all are pretty good. Okay, I like it. Hey, Aretha Franklin, she's the queen of soul, right? R-E-S-P-E-C-T. Ray Charles might even be the king of soul, if you ask me. If you, ain't, you really ain't cultured if you haven't had soul food, am I right? You can eat some soul food, we, have, we call it that. Derek Jeter, any Yankees fans in here? He was called the soul of the Yankees at some times. Uh, there was a movie a long time ago. I'm going to date myself a little bit. Uh, Elizabeth Hurley and uh, Brendan Fraser, two actors that don't even, uh, I don't think they're even in movies anymore, but they did a movie called Bedazzled. And in the movie, he sold his soul to the devil, right? We see this over and over. Actually, literally a couple years ago, someone tried to sell their soul on eBay for $2,000. Anybody hear this story? For $2,000, they said, I'm going to sell my soul to whoever the highest bidder. $2,000 is the starting bid. eBay has now since put a policy in place that you cannot sell your soul. They said in their statement that we remain neutral on whether there is a soul or not, uh, but we do not allow anybody to sell any part of a human being. So there, there you have it. Uh, the great uh, debate in America, does a fetus have a soul? I talk about that all the time. A Kia, uh, a Kia has a car, Kia's soul. We speak of the eyes being the window to the soul, right? Okay, in churches, we do this all the time. Then sings my soul. Well, I'm putting myself out there this morning, aren't I? <laughs> my Savior God to thee, or bless the Lord, O oh my soul, right? We sing this all the time. We, we just say, hey, brother, I'm just trying to win one more soul to Jesus. And maybe arguably the most important question about the soul is do dogs have souls, am I right? Do dogs go to heaven, Nick? I've, got, I've received that email before. Um, we all know cats don't have souls. They go straight, <laughs> straight away from there, wherever he is. Please don't email me on that. It's very biblical, very, very biblical. But the Bible talks about our souls a lot. Moses, uh, when he's leaving the people of Israel and he's giving them final instructions, it'll be up on the screen, he says, only be careful. Watch over your souls closely. There's a command to the people. Watch over your souls today. Uh, the soul is valuable. It's the primary task of the church. This is what the instructions to us as pastors have been in the scriptures. Uh, and to you, it says, have confidence in your leaders. Hello, hello, hi. There we go. That seems a little weird to say. They have confidence in me today, all right? Be responsible to their counsel. They keep watch over your souls and people as people who must give an account. We are responsible to those of you who have covenanted to our church as covenant members for your souls. And we're responsible, it's a serious deal. Uh, the worth of the soul, it says in scripture, comes from Jesus. Jesus says this, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world but to lose their soul? Now my entire life, I thought that scripture was about a destination. It was like, hey, if I gained all this money and all this acclamation of things, then I would lose my soul to hell. 
Like my soul would go to a destination. That scripture is not talking about that. What it's actually saying, it's talking about the condition of your soul. He's saying that you can gain all of the gross national product. You can gain all the money in the world. He says, but what would it be if, you lose, if the condition of your soul is worthless, if it's worn out, if it's destroyed? That the condition of your soul today is what is in question today. So we're gonna read Psalm 23 with me. I want you to open it up if you're not there. And I want you to see what the Lord says. He's gonna answer the question for us on his purpose for our souls. Check this out. You've read this maybe a hundred times if you've been in church, but I want you to see this. It says this. By the way, I used to play this scripture uh, when I was dealing with anxiety a long time ago. I would put uh, this scripture on my YouVersion Bible and I would fall asleep with this scripture just playing on repeat. Psalm 23, it's a beautiful, beautiful psalm. It says this, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. And surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's the word of the Lord. The Lord is a shepherd. He's a protector. And if you walk through this, one of the best things you can do is just to write out every single attribute of what you see God is in this scripture. And you will see that he leads us to health. He slows us down. He leads you in the way to go. He leads you away from evil. He protects you in evil. He remains with you. He protects you always. He provides for you. He lavishes goodness and mercy. And then what it says right there, it answers the question on what God's purpose is with our souls. He restores your soul. His purpose, his aim, God's aim for humanity is to restore your soul. That he gave you a soul. He implanted that, imprinted that into you, a soul, this soul that we're going to talk about what it is. And then it got detached and separated from him in some ways when sin entered into the world. And God's aim is to come back, and it says he restores my soul. One of the greatest promises in all of the New Testament, it says this, again, another text that I've often misquoted, misunderstood. It says the son of man came to seek and save that which was lost. Anybody else in here always thought it said he came to seek and save the lost? Like it was a person? The son of man came to seek and save the lost? Well, he did. But the scripture, the, the correct translation of it, the actual more accurate translation is he came to save that what was lost. And what was lost? Our souls. Our souls had a destination, an attachment to God, and they have been lost in the fall of creation. So question one, what is the soul? I want to tell you a little more about it. You and I, hear me clearly, hello, that's fun, look at that, going off right in the middle of church, love it. You and I have an interior and an exterior world. 
We have this outside world. It's what I see of you today. I see you all, what you're wearing, how you look, how you're dressed. You have this exterior world. You have a social media account, a highlight reel. People see all of the great things that are going on on the outside of you. You have this world that is a reputation, it's appearance. It's a lot about what people think of you, what they see of you, your accomplishments, your work. And I'm not saying that's bad today. It's just easier to keep track of the outer world. We, we do it by what? Likes and follows, things like that. When we tend to focus on this exterior world way more than we focus on the internal world. But we have an internal world too. And the internal world is this world of our thoughts, our prayers. It's the unseen world that nobody else sees in your life. It's the desires, it's the hopes, it's the wishes, it's the emotions, it's the feeling of what's going on on the inside. The question for you today is what do you care more about? The external or the internal? The soul, first thing I'll tell you about what the soul is. The soul has a lot to do with the interior world that you have. It has a lot to do with what's going on inside. And here's the deal. Here's why we focus. Are you with me today? Here's why we focus more on the external world. Because one gets applause and the other one doesn't. Amen? Anybody? No amens to that. One of them gets a lot of people going, I like that. That's amazing. And the other one, nobody sees. Nobody knows. And so there's not a lot of applause. And we live as people who want a lot of applause from people. So we look for people to clap for us, to tell us what is good. But the interior world is the core part of what's going on. It's vulnerable. It's precious. It's fragile. It's what's happening on the inside of us. The fact of the matter is you are a soul made by God, made for God, and to need God. I'll say that again. You are a soul made by God. Most of us get that. They believe that. If you're here today, you're probably like, well, there's probably a God. He created me. We get that. Some of us don't fully get yet that we were made for God, that you were actually created for his purposes, that he wants to use you where you're at in the life, in the world of where you're at. And then we're made to need God. And I would argue that all of us really struggle with that piece quite a bit. That this means that we're not meant to be self-sufficient. But it means, actually, we often operate self-sufficient. Look, I, I hate saying this, but this is true. And this is true of my life. I'm just going to be honest. Many of us operate like functional atheists. We, we believe there's a God. Like, we're like, oh, I get it. I'm made by him. But then we operate and function apart from that. And you were made as a soul to need that, okay? Now, I'm going to break this down a little bit more. I know corporate America people are about to groan a little bit because I pulled out a whiteboard today. All right? <laughs> Here we go. I'm sorry. It is not Monday, but we are going to look at this a little bit. I want to break this down for you just a tad bit, all right? The soul is made up of three parts, okay? And this is what we see in Scripture. You get a little biblical theology lesson right here, okay? First, we will see that the soul at its center is about a will. You have a will. You have intentions. You chose today to show up here. You chose to go somewhere before this. You chose to get coffee or get brunch. You chose not to watch the women beat whoever they're playing in the Netherlands today, okay, in the U.S., amen? All right, don't tell me the score. I'm reminding you today, all right? You choose things every single day with intention. You have choice. God gives you the ability to choose. We won't get into that conversation today fully, but there is a tension there. You have the ability to make choice, to choose things. This is the core of who you are. And if that will is violated, you feel like your personhood is violated. 
If, if someone, if you say, I'm going to choose to do this, and someone tells you, you can't, oh, man, 2019 in America, don't mess with our will. Don't tell me what I can't do. Don't tell me what I can't choose, right? We have a hailstorm and a firestorm that just blows up. We choose to do things. Another word that you'll see in Scripture often for will is helpful is the word spirit. The Lord talks about the spirit, your spirit. You have the ability to choose, okay? The will makes a human being unique. It makes you personal. It makes you who you are, and it is irreplaceable, and every human has the ability, but sin creeps in, and sin begins to distort the choices that we make. If my will was always aligned with God's will, then in that moment, if it was working right, everything that I intended to do, I would do. But some of us in here understand that today, that I intend to do some things today that I don't do. Amen? Anybody? Hello, I'm going to amen it myself. Amen, Nick. Amen. We intend to do something, and we don't do it. Uh, I love St. Bernard of Clairvaux. He's, uh, back in um, 1096, he, wrote, he said this. He said, hell is full of good intentions. I think Mark Twain actually played upon that a little bit. He said, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. It's this idea that I, you, you just want to say today, I just want to build up my willpower today. I just want to, man, I'm just going to grit it out. I'm going to put more, more willpower forward. We just want to try harder. The problem is, is willpower only goes so far. And we know that. We wonder, why can't I just have more willpower? Habits begin to trump willpower. When you create habitual things, guys that you know, that those of you who work out, you understand that when you start doing things over and over and over the same way, it becomes a little easier to get in the gym and to go and to do it. We're repeating things over. So that's, that is the will, okay? The next part of this is the mind, all right? By the way, if you were at a sermon a few weeks ago when we talked about worship, we talked about will being the hands, right? It's what we do. It's what we choose to do. The mind over here, the head, is what we think. It's everything that we consciously think and feel. It's what's, what's going on in our mind all the time. If my mind was working right all the time, then I would be thinking great things about all of you all the time. But the reality is we even try not to think negative things, and they just, we start thinking it. Amen? That is the mind. That's what happens. The mind, if it, was, if it was aligned with the heart of God fully, then we would be thinking the good things. But we don't, and our minds are a mess. I mean, even this morning, I woke up, and I had this inner monologue just going on about today and about, hey, you know, no one's going to be at church today, and hey, we're going to watch USA. And it's like, where does that come from? Where is that? I don't want to think that. And that's my mind. And that's what's going on inside. The mind craves peace. We want a, a clear mind, right? Hello, I'm starting to think about like Friday Night Lights. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. Clear mind, right? Full hearts, can't lose. To live like Jesus, your will, your will ought to be surrendered to him. We ought to surrender our choices to him and believe that he has what's best for us. And our mind ought to be transformed by him. It says in scripture that our mind is renewed and transformed by the words of God, by the words of God, okay? Third part of this, last part of this, it is the body. It is the body that we are made up of our will, our mind, and our body. It is this piece. It is our flesh, but it's also further than that. It is the depths of your desires, your, your, your desires, your hungers, your appetites that you have, the things that you long for and want. And so oftentimes your will, so we were talking about a minute ago, your will says, I want to do that. I want to go there. But your habits, your appetites, your desires take over, and those things don't begin to operate the same way. Uh, scripture says it this way. Paul says it in Romans 7, 15. You've heard this before. For I do not understand my own actions. 
I do not do what I want to do, but I do the very thing I hate. Romans 7, 15. You know what I'm talking about? Some of that should make us feel really good today, that Paul, we're going at dip scriptures, did not have it together, okay? That these things right here, his will and his body, were going at different, different directions. Some of us struggle in the same patterns of the same sin over and over and over because of this right here, this disintegration that's going on because one is going one way and one's going another way. You put all these things together and this makes up the soul. This right here, mind, body, will. That is your soul. And this is the reality today. Our soul is distorted and it's struggling because there's sin in this world. Uh, another great example, you can say to yourself today, man, I intend to stay awake right now as Nick's preaching, but my body is pretty tired and I'm tired of hearing that guy talk. And so you begin to fall asleep a little bit, am I right? So uh, you shouldn't have said yeah there. Who said yeah? Okay, we're coming for you right after that. <laughs> the problem is, y'all, the problem is we keep saying, I just want to try harder. You know, when, when someone comes to me and says, Nick, I just want to try, I'm just going to try harder to follow Jesus. I'm going to try harder. You know what I say to them? You need to die harder. You need to stop trying. You need to cut that word out of your language. You need to surrender your will to him. That means today you need to come to him and open your hands and your heart and say, God, the choices I make, I'm going to trust you. to you. You made this thing for me. I'm going to take care of it. I'm going to eat healthy. I'm going to take care of these desires I have that, man, I, look, I'm just going to be confessing to you right now. I struggle with desires and things that I know are not from God. Yeah. And, and here's the reality is I've got to hand that stuff over to him daily, multiple times a day. I've got to ask him, I've got to surrender that over to him. We don't need to try harder. We need to die harder. All three of those together are the soul. When we think and feel with our mind, we then move to intend to do with and then we therefore do it with our body. That is the soul. The soul wants to be integrated, all of our choices, thoughts, appetites, hunger, into one harmonious connection to God. That's the way you were made today. God wants, you were made that these things would be connected and aligned with him. And joy and peace and all the things that we search for come when those things are aligned. And the greatest thing, the greatest promise is Psalm 23. He will restore that stuff. He will restore that stuff. We'll get to that in a second because that's my most hyped part of this. I'm really excited about that. We'll get there in a minute. One other thing I want you to know about the soul is that the soul often in Scripture is used as a synonym for a person. So um, you ever been on a ship or an airplane? They say how many souls are on board. Next time you go on a cruise, ask somebody who works on, on, on the cruise. That's how they count you, as souls, which I think is fascinating. It actually comes from Acts 27:37, When Paul was talking about how altogether in Scripture it says there were 276 souls on board. The SOS, I used to think that meant save our ship. It actually really means save our souls. And so this idea of soul permeates the scriptures. I love it. God is promising to you today to restore your wonder to him. In the ancient world, they used to speak to their souls. And you can too today. You're like, you are crazy, Nick. No, you can speak to your soul. Psalm 42. Psalm 42, it says this right here. Why are you downcast, my soul? Why are you so disturbed? Maybe next time you're depressed, what if you spoke to it? What if you spoke truth to your soul 
Next time you were disturbed, Psalm, uh, Psalm 103.1 says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that's in me. He's telling, he's demanding, hey, soul, bless God today. Bless him today. Um, the soul has depth, by the way. It's extremely deep. It's a, your, your soul is so deeply connected to God. It's the deepest thing about you. And I, I, went, on a, um, I went to Turks and Caicos not long ago. Uh, anybody ever been there, by the way? Cool, just me. All right, cool. Humble brag. Okay, sorry. I apologize. Wow. Okay. Um, we took us to the edge of this reef. And I love snorkeling. I love scuba diving. And I mean, if you want to see me like a kid in a candy shop, that's where I am. And they took us to the edge of this reef, and they told us, you're about to see something you've probably never seen before. This thing is going to be a, a very shallow reef, and it will just drop off into an abyss. And we got out there, and I mean, he was not kidding. We got on the edge of this reef, and it just dropped, and I could not see anything. It just went straight down into depth. And I was terrified. And all of a sudden, you see this, this murky creature come out of nowhere. And I'm like, I'm just like, it's my worst nightmare. And it was this eagle ray. This ma- it's like a manta ray on steroids. These massive things just suddenly flocking through the water. And it was the most fascinating thing. That's the kind of depth that is in your soul. It's like, it's so deep. It's connected in scripture a lot to like the depth of an abyss. Job says it this way. And Job, what he's saying is, I will speak out of the depths of my soul. Man. That's what the soul is, and God longs to restore it. Now, the problem is you have opposition to that. Hear, hear me today. If God gave you something, and if God has an intention and a plan with you to restore your soul, do you understand today that you have enemies that are actually doing the opposite of that? You have opposition today, and you are living in opposition today to an enemy. In fact, in John 10, when he says, I am the good shepherd, the sheep know my voice, he goes on to say that steal and kill and destroy. We have that in John 10, 10. It says the enemy, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Your first enemy today is the devil. And I know this is 2019. And you're like, what are you talking about? Like I talk about the devil like it's Santa Claus. No, it's not. It's a real thing. It says the thief comes to And this is what Jesus says about him today in John 10, 10. It says the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy you. That's hard language. Like we just read those words and I'm saying somebody's out to murder you. Something is out to destroy you today, but I have come that you would have a rich and satisfying life. That is Jesus' promise to you. Another verse of that, uh, Psalm 143.3, for the enemy has pursued my soul. He's crushed my life to the ground. He has made me sit in darkness like those long dead. Some of us understand that verse. He says this also in 1 Peter 5.8, if that didn't wake you up, maybe this does. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Some of us are treating the devil like he's a lion cub, but he's not. He's there to destroy you. And you are going through things today. I'm not trying to scare you today. Please understand that. I am trying today to wake you up to the reality of the world that is going on in the seen and the unseen today. I want to shake some things and wake you up that there is a devil who uses, and the Lord's language that he uses is kill, devour, destroy, murder. That's his intention with you. All the while, the Lord's intention is to restore your soul. There are two themes that are going on in the 
kingdom of God all the time. The minor theme is spiritual warfare. It's happening all the time. The major theme is that nobody's going to stop God's plans. Nobody and nothing will stop what God intends for your life and who you are and what he longs to do with you. Nothing will stop that today. Nothing will stop that today. We're in war, and man, I know that sounds dramatic, but I don't know how else to say it. You turn on um, the news. You turn it on, and what do you see? You see that we're in war. You see that there are 27 million slaves today being human trafficked and sex. You see that there are 2 million children today that are being trafficked for prostitution, that people want to sleep with children today, and they're enslaving them, and that's happening before our eyes. You see that alcoholism is at its highest. Depression is at its highest. Suicide is at its highest. Anxiety is at its highest. You see that opioid use is at its highest. You see that racial hostility in this country, it feels like is the worst that it's been in decades. And we wonder, is there evil in this world? And we, we wonder if the devil is really real. No, that's just people. Really? Well, what is driving those people? What's moving those people today? Look, my brother, he's in the army. He's a major. He's in infantry. And uh, he uh, tells me about this uh, concept that they're taught as soldiers. It's called situational awareness. It's the idea that um, in the Bin Laden raid, for an example, when those guys went in to take that guy out, they had built a compound to the T in its measurement. And every single detail, they had people on the inside scoping out the inside of that compound. They knew how much sand was where. They knew where to land. They knew what the movements and the patterns of people were every single day. They knew which door was where. They knew what windows didn't work. They knew which ones were just. They were aware of the field in which they were entering into. And that is what God is calling you into, y'all. He's calling you to understand Ephesians 6, 12, when he says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly place. Are you having trouble today with somebody? If you are, maybe it's opposition of the enemy who's lying to you about that person. Are you struggling somewhere? Are you feeling oppression somewhere? Are you depressed? Most of us live, if you, if you hear one thing, hear this. Most of us live day to day as if we don't have an enemy. We wake up in the morning, we get our coffee, we open up our latte and you know, our, our books and just drink our latte and we just forget the reality that I'm sorry, y'all, I love you enough to tell you that I love this church enough to tell you that there's an enemy that wants to destroy you, that wants to divide you and everybody else in this place today. And I want you to be aware of it. Do you know that in the scriptures, uh, most people think that the story of God and creation began when Jesus said, when God said, in the beginning, and then he created everything. Most people think that's act one. That's not act one. Act one was when God has always existed before time because he is time. He's the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. God has always been around. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in perfect harmony and perfect fellowship. And that's what was. And then it says that Satan rebelled against him. That's act two. That he wanted to be worshipped. He wanted to be God. And so it says in scripture, it says that he led a, a revolt of angels against God. And if you're going to pick a fight with somebody, just don't pick a fight against God. Am I right? Because those guys lost real quick and they ended down on earth. They were thrown down to earth, it says. That was act two. 
In fact, everywhere you see in scripture, oftentimes you see angels are armed. Why are they armed? Because they're in a war. They're in a battle. Second Chronicles literally talks about how two angels wiped out the entire Assyrian army. Act three, guess where act three begins? Act three begins when God did create the earth, but guess when Jesus entered into the world? He did not enter into an oath silent night. He entered into mass genocide. That day, this is history, you can look it up, the King Herod was murdering boys because he was fearful. He had heard that a Messiah was coming, and he was fearful, and he started a massacre of young children. And Satan was scared because he knew where he was going to go as soon as Jesus came. And so guess what? Jesus entered into chaos on your behalf to restore your soul into the midst of genocide. This was Act 3. That is the first big enemy is the devil. The second big enemy, we got to pick this up a little bit, is the world, okay? And that's not like, hey, man, we got to, like, bond together, you know? That's not, look, I listened to Cardi B on the way here this morning, okay? Non-explicit version, all right? Don't judge me or email me, but that's how I get crunk. I don't listen to Tomlin in the morning on the way to church, okay? I get lit by listening to little Cardi, okay? It gets me excited, all right? <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't know where that came from. But this is, what, this is what the world, this is the fear of the world, to be aware of this enemy. This is what, in 2 Timothy 4.10, Paul's writing the last words of his life, and he says, talking about this man who was walking with him his whole life. And he said, Demas, in love with this present world, deserted me. He left me. Or just the verse we read earlier in Mark 8.36, what do you benefit if you gain this whole world? But you lose the soul. And so there's this reality of this world. And you know how the world mostly comes at you? The world tells you to care more about yourself than your soul. And let me be real clear today. Your soul is not yourself, okay? You want to care for your soul. It means to look at your life under the lens and the connection with God. If you look at yourself, that means you're looking at yourself apart from God and you're losing awareness of what matters. I'm not saying don't take care of yourself. I'm saying today that God is, many of us are so depressed because we've replaced community, with, we've replaced connection with God and community with our love of creation and the world around us and ourself. And God's calling you back into a relationship with him today. He's calling you back to him. It says in the same scripture in 2 Timothy 4, it says that in the end of times, many of us are going to be lovers of ourselves. I mean, hello, we got whole pages dedicated to ourselves today. We got entire pages about look at me, and every picture I put up is me, and I want you to see me. And we're under this guise and this premise. I'm not knocking on social media. I'm on social media. I love it. I'm just saying, are you aware of that the world is calling you to yourself? The third biggest enemy is, your, is yourself. It's your flesh. It's your desires that are your sin. He says this in 1 Peter 2.11. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires. They wage war on your soul. You see, sin does this. It's so serious. It enslaves our will. It distorts our mind. It corrupts our body. And it disintegrates the soul. That's what it does. So I want to close out with this thought today. That is the enemy of the soul. That's what the soul is. God's intention and aim for your life is to restore that soul. The question then is how do you care for it? 
And I gotta say this as pastorally, but as strongly as I can. Number one, the way you care for your soul today is fight for it. Wake up to the call on your life to fight for your soul. That God has given you this soul. And I want you to think about this today. If our church is built on all of us together, the souls of all of us, and that the health of this church is dependent upon the health of your soul, then what does that tell you about us? It tells you you are called to care for your soul, not just for your sake, but for our sake, for our church's health's sake, for you to care for the well-being of your soul, of your will, of your mind, of your body, to care for it, to fight for it. This language is not so dramatic. I believe firmly that one of the most crucial points of your life as a believer is when you come to the end of yourself, when you get so sick of, of addiction and depression and you get so sick and tired of fighting and warring and the addictions that you're struggling with and your boredom and you're tired of your anger and you're sick of yourself. Some of us in here today need to come to the end of ourselves that we're fighting so hard against somebody and the Lord just wants you to let it go. You're, you're fighting so hard in an addiction, and he just wants you to, to stop throwing you. And man, we get these, lose the sense of what is worth fighting for. Your soul and this church and the lives of your brothers and sisters around you are worth fighting for. Amen? God is calling you to do that. Man, I'm looking right at people in this room who are helping other people fight for that and fight for our souls. We need that. Some of y'all think I'm crazy, but y'all fight for all sorts of stuff. You fight for jobs and money and position, and that's great. I'm not telling you not to vie for that and work hard. I'm telling you that there's something that's worth more than that. And oftentimes as Christians, we're fearful of fighting. Me even saying that to you bothers you, some of us. Because confrontation for some of you is so, you're so scared of confrontation and healthy confrontation. And God is calling you into the right kind of confrontation today. To confront sin to confess it, to bring it out to the light today, to find a brother or a sister who loves you and is gonna speak the gospel over you. The Adam, he covered himself in fig leaves because he was ashamed. The gospel says get rid of your fig leaves. What are your fig leaves that you're covering yourself with? Get rid of that stuff. Let it go. You don't have to hide anymore. You don't have to be something that you're not. The gospel liberates you. It says, I know what you are. I know who you are. I know where you're at. You don't have to fake it anymore. It's disintegrating and pulling apart your soul to fake it with your body and your facial expressions, but your mind and your intentions are going another way. You don't have to do it. You don't have to do it. That's what this church is for. That's what we're here for. And if somebody is going to treat you any way differently, come find me because I'll have a gospel conversation with them. Welcome to church today, everybody. That's what it's all about. I love what John, brother, and I says, and I'll close this up here. He says this. He says, <laughs> he says uh, we were at a retreat. My brother and I were at a retreat not long ago. And uh, John spoke to us, and he said, uh, who would be likely more promoted in your church? Like if we had, if we, uh, Paul, if we were going to bring up some more elders today and just vote today, who would be more likely to be promoted in your church? Mr. Rogers? Fred's great. Love him. He's amazing. But who would be more promoted? Would it be the guy who has less aggression towards the things? Less aggression or the guy who has more aggression towards the right things? Injustice the slavery of sin, who would be more promoted here? Christianity has been hijacked. The lie now is that we are called to be nice people. 
We are called to be kind. Don't get me wrong. But we are not called to be nice and play with a lion cub that's going to turn into an apex predator that's going to devour you. We are called to fight that today. That is the call in your life today. I love Fred. No, no knock on Fred. I want to be nice, man. What's worth fighting for? Exodus 15.3 says that the Lord is a warrior. The Lord is a warrior and the Lord is in you. And the Lord is his name. If you have the image of God, then you have what's needed in you to fight with his spirit against these things. The opposite of the good fight is to be apathetic and to be bored and to fall into a routine again and to take no risk. Man, I think the greatest enemy of our church today, it's not paganism. It ain't Cardi B. <laughs> it's these things right here. It's those of us who are bored and in a routine and living a mundane spiritual life when God wants to shake you up and call you into the fight today, not tomorrow, today. That is what will kill our church is if we have apathetic, bored people in a routine. The last thing to tell you is, man, if you want to know how to care for your soul, just look to Jesus. Look at his life. Look how he lived. I don't have time to get into it. I'm already over time. But look, he lived he lived in solitude oftentimes. He took breaks, y'all. The band can come up wherever you're at, by the way. But he took breaks. He rested. He got alone with God. He turned this God-forsaken thing, which I love to death, off. And he got alone. If I read to you today all of the scriptures, it, look, I'm just going to read some of these to you. Jesus went to the wilderness alone. Jesus walked by the Sea of Galilee. Jesus walked by the sea with the prey. He rested and found quiet places. He walked 90 miles from Galilee to Jerusalem. That would have given him five days alone in solitude. Do you understand that solitude is an important habit to enter into your life? You've got to practice it. It's like those, uh, those bracelets. What would Jesus do? We need those things again, all right? They're cheesy as all get out. But what would Jesus do? He'd get alone. He'd get away from some people sometimes. He would rest and allow the Lord to speak to you and tell you he loves you. He's crazy about you. That your sin is not the end of you. That the story's not over. That he longs to restore you. He, he, he would pray. Another habit Jesus had. He, he made it a regular habit to pray. He made it a regular habit to feed on the word of God. Okay, do you see these things, these disciplines? These, I call them habits. I just don't like the word discipline. It just sounds so negative. But creating habits of this. It says man doesn't live on bread alone, but on every word of the Lord. You want life, go live on his word. He got in regular habits of community. If you are walking alone, find people that can speak into you and call you out. Allow them to speak into your life. You need them. You need them. And I would just want to ask you this as we end. What would our church look like if we were men and women who pushed each other more to look at our interior world, to take a look at our souls more than our exterior world? What if we started applauding each other one-on-one -on -one in private for that kind of life? We need that, y'all. I need it. I need rest. We need space. You know, the crazy part about Psalm 23 is he says that if you don't do it, he will. <laughs> it doesn't say I'm going to kindly lay you down in green pastures. He says he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me to still waters. Sometimes God's got to take some things away from you because he's asked it 19,000 times to take it away yourself because he wants to remind you 
I'm here to restore this. I'm here to bring you back into connection with me again because I love you too much and you're my child. It'll be up on the screen. He offered it again today. He says this, come to me all who are weary, all of you who are burdened, come to me and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. I'm gentle. I'm whole. I'm humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. I'll close with this last thought. I told you about Acts 1, 2, and 3, right? What about Act 4? There's more to the story. God's going to return. Jesus came once. He came once to give us life and to offer free, eternal life. And he offers it to those of you today who don't have it. For those of you who do, he reminds you today that that offer is there and that he, that he gave that to you. To think about your salvation, to restore the joy of my salvation, as David would say. But Act 4 is what is found in Revelation when it says he will return to this earth and I saw a new Jerusalem coming down and he's going to restore this earth. By the way, Act 4 is not some clouds in the sky and some heart player, right, blowing clouds out of their mouth. He brings heaven to earth fully and he restores everything that's broken and he restores every hurt and pain that you have and that is coming. That is our great hope today. <laughs> I can't wait for that day. There's some days I want it, people around you. But until that day comes, we still have a mission. We got people around you that need love, need to be cared for, and God has made you for him today. But he has rescued you from the dominion of darkness, it says, and he has placed you in the kingdom, Christian. Live in it. Operate in it. Because he's going to come back. And when he comes back, Adam said in his sermon, he, uh, he said there were 365 fear nots, right? But there's one fear that Jesus says to fear. He says one time that I can find to be scared, to be afraid. And I don't know what this means fully. I live in a little bit of tension of this. But he says, don't fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear the one who can destroy both the body and the soul in hell. That's a hard thing to say. I've also thought about not saying it today. But here's the deal. Those of you who don't know him, God wants you in relationship with him. He's not waiting for you to get something right. He's asking you and calling you back into the heart of God today. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I love you so much. I pray today that we would walk out of here empowered, ignited for you, Lord, to see people differently than maybe we see them right now. Um, I pray that those parts of our body right now and our will and our mind that are running in opposition to you right now, God, that you would just take this moment, they would take this moment to just hand that to you. You say in scripture, I stand at the door and I knock, but you would have none of it. I pray that as you knock right now, that we would just simply give that to you, just confess it to you and hand it. Hit the reset button today. Call you back, ask that of you today. I pray that. In Jesus' name I pray.